0: For those of you that didn't see that, my wife just remarried me again. She gave, she gave me back my ring. Not that she took it away. <laughs> I just uh, didn't put it on this morning. And uh, she wanted to make sure that I feel safe now. It's my, it's my uh, protector. Yeah. <laughs> now Jesus is my protector. He's the center of our of our marriage as well as it should be, right? Amen. Because when you have Christ in the center of your life, it doesn't matter what comes at you. When you have Jesus Christ holding things together for you, you know that all things are going to be well. You know that it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio uh, Spratt is the, uh, the man that wrote this song, was, wrote it back oh, in the 1800s, uh, right after the Chicago Fire. He, uh, him, and his family uh, had lost everything during the fires in Chicago, and all his businesses burned down. And so he sent his wife and his kids uh, across the sea to London to go back home, and so they can start all over again. He says, "Let me take care of business here, and as soon as I'm done, I will follow you, and um, and uh, I'll be there to take care of things." Well, on the way, the tank, the uh, the air, not the airline, but the streamliner that was going toward London hit a tanker. In the middle of the ocean, and uh, and they were all they were, many people perished except for his wife. He lost three daughters, I believe, and uh, and all his possessions and everything else that they had that was on the ship that had been sent ahead of time. And so she, uh, Horatio received the message uh, through telegraph, and and it basically stated the ship was sunk, save one. Everything is lost, save one, meaning his his wife. And so in the process of getting things ready, he too jumped on a, on a liner and went across the sea to take care of things. And uh, while they were crossing the area of where the accident took place, the captain had slowed the ship down and he dimmed the lights and he said, we're going to have a moment of prayer over this area. And they threw a reef into the ocean. And it was at that time that Horatio Sprats, as he was crying and poured out to God, he says, you know what, Lord? Though Satan may buffet, though the winds and the storms may come, regardless of what happens, Lord, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And the portion of scripture that we're going through today is, nothing can steal my joy. And this is Paul's cry out to the church in Philippi. He's crying out to the church. It doesn't matter. As you know, we have been going through the book of Philippians, and we find that Paul finds himself in prison. He spent two years in the the prison in Jerusalem, and he's going to spend two years. We don't know whereabouts he's at right now. In Philippi, but he 's going to spend two years there, and eventually he 's going to be executed he doesn 't know whether he 's going to be released according to what we 're going to read today. He kind of thought, you know if I die, hey I die but if I live it 's better for you and and so one of the things that we know is that regardless of what happened, Paul did not lose his joy as a matter of fact, the book of Philippians has been known as the joyful book as uh, if you go through through this with me in Philippians chapter one, if you open up your Bibles. <clears throat> In verse four, Paul says, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayers with joy. And then if you go down to chapter one, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul was rejoicing whether they were defaming him or anything else. And in the very next verse or that same verse, he says, yes, I I will rejoice. And in verse 25, he says, "...convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy." Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, "...complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind." Over in chapter 2 again in verse 17, he says, Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, in other words, if is going to be sacrificed or killed upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice. If you go over to verse 20, 28, he says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Now remember, Paul's in prison at this time. He's chained to a guard. In verse 29 he says, "'So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor.'" chapter 3 verse 1 finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you he says rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord and then we go to chapter 4 verses 4 and on he says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice he's telling them you know don't worry about me rejoice 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 And in the last verse uh, the last time in verse 10 of chapter 4 he says I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me Paul is rejoicing through this whole letter while in prison able to communicate with those that are around him and so they have called this letter the letter of joy but if you understand his circumstances he was in a very dark place getting ready he he was just saved from assassination in Jerusalem two years prior and now he's in Rome wanting to go to Rome and and he ended up being there I don't think this is how he wanted to go all expense paid trip But he ends up in Rome and in Rome and in prison, he is rejoicing and telling everyone to rejoice. This is why we call this series Finding Joy in the Darkness. How did Paul do that? How was Paul able to find joy? Well, he writes these things down for the church so that they, too, in Philippi and us as well, in churches throughout all history, can understand and know how to say it is well with my soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, as we go into this portion of scripture, I pray that you just uh, anoint your word, Lord. Help us to hear it with new ears. Help us to read it with new eyes. In In a place where we are today. In a place where our economy, our nation, our government, our city. Lord, just the various things that are happening around the world. In our own personal lives. It is difficult to find joy in this darkness. And I pray that today you just minister to us through your word. That we see how Paul encouraged the church in Philippi and how he encourages us to rejoice in all things and let nothing steal our joy. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity, this time we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Thank you. I'm going to read the portion of scripture that we have outlined for today, verses 19 through 26. And it reads like this. In, in, in actuality, you have to kind of go back to verse 18, because verse 18, the last part of it is, atta- I, and I don't know how it is on your Bible, but in my Bible, it says, to live is Christ in the section, and a portion of verse 18 is attached to 19. So we kind of have to incorporate verse 18, because that was, of course, the advancement of the gospel. Paul was uh, just sharing on how he wanted to advance the gospel. Nothing was going to stop the gospel. But in verse 18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life. so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of scripture. I pray that you just bless your word and help us to see what it is that you've laid out for us in the life of Paul, in the life of the church, and in the life of this church as well. Lord, the times are difficult. It seems that everything is turning against you, Lord. The hatred toward you, God, is, is just unbearable. And to see it, just unfold before our eyes, in our own government, in our own society, in the social standings of of this nation, of our city, to see it all unfold, this hatred toward you, Lord. It is heartbreaking. And I pray, Father, that you help us to stand firm as we share the gospel with the dying world that needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. So, Father, I pray that you lead us this morning through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. amen. Despite the trials and sorrows he suffered, his ministry was nevertheless a joyful experience. And one of the things that we see in Paul is that in spite of all the retribution, in spite of all the slander, in spite of him being in prison, the beatings. And we'll talk about that in a few, uh, the next couple of chapters. We'll talk about everything that Paul went through. He says, you know what? I've done a lot. I've achieved a lot. But, you know, and a lot has happened to me because of it. And and whatever it is, I count it as rubbish. It's nothing. Paul is able to stand firm as long, in spite of death, as long as the Lord was glorified. As long as Jesus Christ is the one that's high and lifted up. And the first reason is because of this. Number one, because of prayers being lifted up. Paul is able to stand firm. You are able to stand firm because prayers are being lifted up on your behalf. Yes, Paul says, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He says, I know, I know this, because this is what's happened. As a matter of fact, portion of the scripture that he he quotes comes from a, a, the Old Testament. In Job chapter 13, verse 16, he says, This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. If you know anything about Job, you remember Job is the one that uh, Satan had said, well, you know, I've, I've been all over the world and God says to him, well, what do you think of my servant Job? And Satan says, well, the reason that Satan so loves you so much is because you've given him so much. And God says, well, take it all away from him. Take it all, but do not harm his life. And so he is taken, his his children are killed, his crops are d- demolished, his his cattle is is burnt up everything is taken away from him, and him and his wife are just sitting there, and his wife is yelling at him, saying, "Well, you know why don't you just die? just curse God and die, get it over with you've lost your reputation, you've lost your family, you've lost your income, you have nothing. you might as well just curse God and die and Job is sitting in a pile of ashes and heap and and he's He's concerned and he's crying and he's calling out to God and he's not asking why, why, why. But he calls for some of his friends. His friends come and ask him, well, what did you do? And he goes, what do you mean, what did I do? Well, this doesn't happen unless something, something that you've done to God, he's punishing you. And that's the common thread, in, I guess, in a lot of people's mishaps. We believe that if things are going well, then God is blessing you. But if things are going bad then God is cursing you. And there is some truth to that, but that's not every time that that happens. Of course, every time I do a stupid mistake, I'm going to have to pay the consequences for it. But of course, if I do good mistakes or good things, I will reap the consequences of that as well. But for Job, he was a righteous man and it was all taken away from him. So his friends, because they knew he was righteous, says, you did something. We know you messed up. And Job says, this will be for my salvation. In other words, all these things that are happening to me, God's going to save me. He's going to pull me through this, that the God that shall not come before him. And Job was right. He understood God's terrible suffering. He understood these things that were taking place in his life just the way Paul understood them. God has a purpose and a reason. We don't know what that is. Sometimes we have to just pause and stop and think, Okay, Lord, like we talked about last week, you know, is is it is it a trial from God that's pulling me closer to him? Is it a temptation from Satan drawing me away from God? Is it a trespass that somebody did to me just so that I can get back at them? Or is it something that I did myself? And so we have to evaluate our life. And and so many times we come to find out that instead of blaming God or the devil or somebody else, we come to find out, you know, it's my own stupid choices. And so we we have to look at what God is doing, because in Romans eight twenty eight we know that he says that for all things work together for good for those who are call, called by God or are called according to his purposes. And this deliverance that Paul was talking about was to be this delivered from where he was at, delivered probably from death, delivered from this prison, delivered so he can go and continue the gospel message. That was his main concern, his freedom. It didn't matter because he was still preaching the gospel. It didn't matter what condition he was in, because his whole purpose of life, his focus, his energy, everything that he was, was focused on Jesus Christ. In any case, Paul knew that this present circumstances, whatever was going on in his life, it was temporary. One way or the other, he was going to be delivered, either by life or by death. And of course we pray for healing in people's life. We pray for complete healing. And if God chooses not to heal, then we pray for com- complete salvation, deliverance. Because one, one way or the other, we're going to get saved. I'm not talking about saved uh, in, in the Christian sense, but delivered from our infirmities, delivered from our mishaps, delivered from all these things that are happening to us. We are going to get delivered. Again, Job says in Job 19, In your outlines, he says, "'For I know, I know,' Job says, "'that my Redeemer lives, "'and at the last he will stand upon the earth, "'and after my skin has been thus destroyed, "'yet in my flesh I shall see God.'" Job is saying, God is going to stand on the earth. He's going to stand upon it as Lord, as Savior. And they had no concept of Messiah as far as how he was going to play into all this thing until after Jesus Christ came. But God, Jesus Christ himself, will be the Lord of all, Lord of lords, the King of kings. And after all our skin is destroyed, everything, and when we are resurrected, what does he say? Yet in my flesh I shall see God. My skin will be gone. In other words, all that I am, everything that makes this body will decompose and will be done with ashes to ashes. Yet during the resurrection, my body will see Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son. See, Daniel, uh, excuse me, Job had this understanding of what was to take place. And he says, this is just temporary as paul would say later this is these are temporary monetary momentarily troubles that are happening in my life another good example is in daniel daniel chapter 3 if you're familiar with the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was a statue that was made. It was close to, I don't know, 30 feet high and like 9 feet wide and, or 90 feet high, 9 feet wide is what it was. And this, this huge statue was made and when everybody, whenever they blew the trumpets and sounded the music, the music, people were to fall and worship this image except for these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't do it within the palace. And so it was told to the king that these men would not worship this image. So they arrested them, and this is Okay, we're going to give you one more chance. We're going to play the music, and ding, 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 ding. When the music plays, you bow and you worship. And they played the music, and they stood there. And he said, You know what? Then this is the penalty for not doing so. We're going to throw you into this furnace, and this furnace is going to just burn you up. And it is hot. So are you sure that this is not what you want to do? And one of the things that they said, you probably know the story. They were thrown in and they were rescued. Jesus Christ was in there with them. But what's really interesting is what they said. And and they said, you know, if this is what's going to happen, if this is what's going to happen to us, they said, if this be so, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They said, you know, God's going to deliver us. But but if not, we're still not going to do it. If he delivers us, great. If he doesn't, it's okay. We're not going to bow down to this thing because we know who Jehovah God is. Now, that is confidence, beloved. Confidence that is needed in our life today. In everything pushing against you. You know, at one time you were asked to just tolerate, tolerate this wickedness that's going on around this country. Tolerate it, just tolerate it, you know, this is my life and that's your life. Just tolerate, okay, well, I'll tolerate. Okay, well, now not only do you have to tolerate, you have to accept it. You have to accept it. Okay, well, okay, I'll accept your lifestyle. Okay, now don't you only have to accept it. Now you have to also participate in it. You have to participate in my lifestyle or otherwise you are off the grid. And I'm saying this because this is what's happening to some of the baseball teams that are refusing to wear these rainbow-colored patches, and they are being they're being outed. This is if you don't if you don't participate, and it started off with just tolerance. You know, just just tolerate. It. Okay, we'll tolerate it. And just accept it. You know what? I don't want to accept it, but I will just to keep the peace. Now I've got to participate in it. Otherwise, I am just as evil as, as you, or not. And the push is coming. And and we need to be able to stand firm and say, you know, whatever you're going to do to me, whatever it is that you're going to do, God's going to save me. He's going to deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I still ain't going to do what you said. Because I know what the Bible teaches. I know what's right. I know what's sin. And this world is going to push against God every single time. And, And As we go through our culture, as we're seeing, you know, as I mentioned here just a bit ago, as you're seeing, first of all, you got to tolerate the sin. you got to tolerate the sinful actions. Tolerate it. As long as you tolerate it, you're good. All right? And then it just moved up a level. Now you have to not only tolerate it, but you have to accept it. Accept my lifestyle. Accept my words. Accept the way I've defined things now. Now everything's defined in a whole different way. Okay, well, I'll accept it, but now... Now that it's pushing to the point where you have to not only tolerate, accept, but you need to participate. You need to be a part of it. And this is why when in Paul's life, he says, you know, whatever happens to me happens. When Job says, whatever happens to me happens, whatever, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they said, whatever happens to us, happens to us, we're not going to bow to this idol. Paul had confidence in the prayers of the saints. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit that that I will be uh, brought through this. The Apostle Paul knew that. As a matter of fact, he knew that in James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Beloved, you don't know how many times we pray for you guys in the cards that you guys leave us. We ask we, we ask for those cards to come back to us and you put prayer concerns in there. And, you know, you might have done it once. You might have done it twice. But beloved, the more you put those prayer cards in the box, we take them to the back and we pray for them. And we pray for you and we're lifting you up in prayer because we know that if you have if you have the energy and the ability and the desire to write it down, it must mean something. And so we don't want to take that too lightly. Because we want to pray for you. I, there, there was times that I used to receive notes and, and cards and stuff. we're praying for you, pastors. Now, now I receive texts or emails, you know, uh, We're praying for you, pastor. You don't know how encouraging that is, because there are times that see, it just seems like you just want to give up. There's times it seems like everything's going up against your pastor or the people around you. And in, in all that time, in all, the, in all the time, people just all of a sudden, God sends somebody. We're praying for you, Pastor. Out of the blues, I'll get a phone call from somebody I haven't seen in a long time. Out of the blues, people that I've met uh, up in Oregon or Washington or different places, they'll take, hey, I'm praying for you, Pastor. You know, out of the blues, it's just always at the right time. You never know how much that really means to a person. During this, the imprisonment time that Paul was writing this letter uh, when he was to the Philippians, he also wrote to Ephesians, if you remember. We went through that book already. And he says to the people in Ephesus, he says, In Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all the times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul is not asking to pray for me to get me out of prison or pray for me that I might get, you know, some leave, but no, he is praying, you know, give me the ability to boldly proclaim the gospel in prison he says that uh, to the people in Thessalonica 1 Thessalonians 5:25 brothers pray f- for us and also finally bro- brothers excuse me pray for us that the word of the lord may speed ahead and be honored as happening among you nothing is more encouraging to those in ministry than to know that the fellow believers are holding them up in prayer And it is so encouraging the word of God, the prayers of the saints, the power of the Holy Spirit always work together for the benefit of the servants of God. Jesus promised a long time ago, he said in John 14, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus Christ had promised the Holy Spirit to help us and to be there for us, to be the helper, the one that lifts us up. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, he says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For if for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I've heard pastors take this verse out of context. I don't prepare. I don't research I don't have to do anything I just get up and I open my open up my mouth and whatever comes out is what the spirit has given me beloved that's not what this verse is saying this is the this is the persecution as a matter of fact Jesus gives gives us the precursor right there when they deliver you over not when you get up to preach not when you get up to say a few words not when you encounter somebody as a matter of fact Jesus Chastise the believers. Oh, you foolish ones, don't you know the scriptures? Haven't you heard, haven't you read what the prophets, the writings, what Moses wrote about the Messiah? The things that he had to endure? He constantly, constantly, he, t- he t- told the Pharisees the same thing. You, you know, go and look this up. In other words, you don't even know what you're talking about. The, these Pharisees, they had this idea that they knew the law, and they did. They had knew it backwards and forwards. The way that they would trans, uh to be able to write it down and, and, and to be able to keep a copy of it the way they did they, they knew every syllable, every word every every consonant that was on the page because they wrote it down meticulously and they would count spaces and they would count every. Constant as, as it went across actually went from from right to left and as they would count them They would also count the ones that they were translating or, or transposing onto the other page and they would count them And if they were off by one Even if the scroll was all almost done if it was off by one They would throw the whole thing away and they would start over They knew the law and jesus says why don't you go and read? Why don't you go and find out what this means? And they were like, oh who does this guy think he is? What school did he go to who did he learn under? Doesn't he know who we are, what colleges we went through, what universities we went through? The word of God is important when you speak it. God is, Jesus Christ is not talking about here about delivering a message. He's talking about when you get persecuted, when things happen, you're going to have the words to say. Or maybe not say. A friend of mine, Pete DeLeon, that was a missionary to Russia, tells a story of, of him going to Russia and, and crossing the border. And they're, they're talking to him about uh, this equipment that he had purchased. And one of the things that happens is that if you don't purchase the equipment in Russia, then they take it away from you or make you pay these absorbent fines because the taxes weren't paid to the Russian government. And his equipment that he bought, his electronic equipment that he bought, he bought it in France. And so he was bringing it across the border. And he says, oh, man, I, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And so they asked him, so where did you purchase this? Did you purchase, purchase this in Russia or did you purchase this in France? And he goes, you know, if I say Russia, you know, that would be great. I mean, they'll just let me pass. They won't even ask me for a receipt. But if I say France, you know, I, you know they're going to take it away from me. And so he didn't know what to say. He says, if I lie, they're going to take it away. From, they're going to let me keep it. But if I tell the truth, they're going to take it away. And so he's sitting there thinking, and, and, and they kept asking, so, so what did you do? Did, you, know, you know what? Get out of here. Get out. Sometimes it's best not to say anything. So there are people that think, you know what? But I had to lie. And Frank was the same way. And Frank was hiding Jews in her house. And Frank was, was, uh, was, was raided by the, the Nazis. And they keep knocking on the door. Do you have Jews in your house? And she says, you know, what do I do? Didn't say anything. Do you have Jews in your house? And, and finally, after a while, she didn't say anything. She just, they just said, you know what, fine, let's go. You know, we, we got other houses to go to. Sometimes the best thing to do is to say nothing. And sometimes I've heard people say, well, sometimes you have to lie. It's just a must to save your life. Really? Is it? You see, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to say what it is you need to say to the persecutors at that time, or maybe not say anything. But you trust in the Holy Spirit's power, always. When people are praying for you and lifting you up, the Holy Spirit is giving you the words that you need, remembering all that which you have learned, giving you the ability to minister to the people that are before you. Did you know that even sometimes you don't even know what to pray for? And Romans chapter 8, verse 26, this, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know, sometimes there's just, I, I don't have any words. Sometimes I'm just like on my face, Lord. and All I say is, is Lord. And the Holy Spirit is interceding, taking my message to God and bringing it back to me God is not interested in your words how eloquent you are, how you can speak he's not interested in that he's interested in your heart He tells the people in Ephesus 3:20 not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power and work within us talking about the Holy Spirit. And then later on in Philippians 4 19, we will see, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The Spirit produces the believer's life, abundant harvest, the spiritual fruit. The Spirit gives you love, gives you joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. He gives you the fruit, not the fruits. But the fruit, it's, it's not a fruit basket or a fruit bowl that you can arbitrarily pick one that you need. Well, today I need patience. Well, I need more patience. Oh, yeah, I need more. You know, No, it doesn't work like that. It starts with love. It starts with joy. It starts with peace. From love, you, you, you receive this joy. When you learn to love the unlovable, those that are hurting you, when you learn to love the, the situation, you know, God, this is for your glory. When you learn to love Jesus Christ more than you do life, you will have joy. And joy, as we said before, is different than happiness. See, people are pursuing happiness. But Paul is focused on joy. And when you have joy, then you can have peace. People want peace in their life, but they have no love and they have no joy. And in order to have peace in your life, you have to have love for the unlovable, joy that is surpassing all understanding, where where things just don't make sense. But you know what? I have this joy, this abundant joy. Though I'm sad, though I'm sorrowful, though the world is against me, I have this joy, then you can have peace. And with that, you know what? When you have love, joy, and peace, guess what? You can stand in any line with all the patience in the world. You can drive on any freeway, and I don't care how backed up it is, because you have love, joy, and peace. Go ahead, cut in front of me. You guys want to go? Good. People behind you might not like it, but you know what? Go ahead and go. You have patience. You get kindness. People want to be kind. People aren't kind. You know why? Because they don't have any love, joy, and peace. And they're very impatient. The most unkind people are those that are very impatient, that don't have any peace, that surely don't display any joy, and have no love. And when you have kindness, goodness comes out of that. And then you become faithful. Your faithfulness and gentleness, and guess what the last fruit is? The last characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You want to have self-control in your life? Start at the beginning. That's a whole separate message. But, beloved, that is what the Spirit gives us. Number two, you see, nothing can steal my joy because Jesus promised me that everything will work out together for good. Because Jesus promised me. He promised me that it will work out. It will work out together for good. And that's the promise that he's given. Philippians 1 verses 20 and 21. As it it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And for me, see, the the implication that Paul is given here, the eager expectation and hope, this is not this wishful thinking, ah, I kind of hope it happens. You see, in the Bible, when it talks about hope, hope is expecting, is knowing. I'm hoping on this because that's going to happen. This is where I've placed all my hope at. It's going to happen. Not like, I hope I hit the lotto. I hope I hit the gordo, you know, the big one. I hope I hit the, you know. No, it's not that kind of a hope. It's not a wishful thinking. Every time the Bible uses eager expectation, you'll always find hope. He's eager to get what it is that God promised. He's eager to see how God Jesus Christ is going to Pull this together. How, how all this is going to happen together. And, and this word, eager expectation, is a compound word that literally means and, and refers to stretching out your neck. You know, trying to get as far as you can and trying to get as much as you can. And it usually is reinforced with hope. Paul was certain that in the eyes of God, he would never truly be put to shame because he's stretching out. He's, I know that I'm going to get this. I know that I'm going to be there. I know that I'm going to be the victor. I will eventually win because Jesus Christ is in control. Amen? Paul expressed his supreme joy when he wrote that, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. And so Paul is already looking at, you know, this could be the last days of my life. This could be it for me. And so whether I die or whether I live, you know, if I live, Christ is going to be honored in my body. If I die, Christ is going to be honored in my body. Can, can, can we come to a point where we can have that kind of confidence? Can we come to a point where we say, for to me, to live is 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 Christ, but to die is gain. Can we come to that point? Somehow, somewhere, the dying of Jesus Christ is always in my body and thinking about it. And have this confidence, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That that is somewhat, you know, and I'm not trying to be morbid about death. You know, it's not that I want to die. As a matter of fact, Paul had this tension. If you think about this and you look at this, he had this tension about you know, <laughs> I want to go be with Christ. I'm in prison. You know, they're going to kill me anyways. I'm gonna, you know, I might as well just go. But then he thought, you know, but I'm still of use around here. The church is still young. They're 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 falling for all these other false doctrines and false teachings. They're not reading the word. They're not growing and maturing as they should. And and I. They, it's like, not that God needs me, not that I'm going to save the whole world, but at least the group of people that I'm responsible for, I, I still need, see that they need to be matured a little bit more. And Paul is just going on and, and wondering amongst himself and wondering, you know, what should I do? I mean, you know, and, and he says, I don't know if I, should, if I should just keep going in this direction or, or what should I do? Lord, if, you, if you're done with me, take me. And if you're not, make me. Basically is what he was saying. Take me or make me. One of the two. And I will go to wherever you want me to go. Can we get to that place? Personally? Each one of us? You see, Paul knew that living for Jesus Christ was the only way to live. In Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and 9 in your outlines, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or live, or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Whether we live or we die was the apostle's statement to the people in Rome and where he was at. He wrote this letter to the Romans before he was imprisoned. Right now, he's writing to the people in Philippi. And so we're looking at Paul's natural progression. As he was a free man, he says, you know, to me, to deliver to die, it's all for Christ." All of it. Whether we live, whether we die, you know, so, so what is it? And to this end, he says, Christ died and lived again. See, Jesus Christ came and he gave his life. I should be willing to give mine. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is the letters that he wrote from prison. The, the, one of the letters, and he wrote Timothy. says, this is it. I can see it coming. Either way, he would be victorious. Either, either Christ would be exalted, or he would be exalted. Either way, he says, I am ready to go. I'm ready to go. He knew he was dying. And he says, that's okay, because for me, to, Christ is to live. It's Christ to, to, to die for. It is Christ. The apostle's very being was wrapped up in the Lord Jesus, in Jesus Christ. He trusted He loved. He served. He witnessed for Jesus. And in every way possible, Paul was devoted and and dependent on Christ. His only hope, his only purpose, his only reason to live was Christ. He traveled for Christ. He preached for Christ. He, he he, He would be persecuted for Christ. He was imprisoned for Christ. Ultimately, he would die for Christ. But even death, by God's marvelous grace, was ultimately for Paul's eternal gain. Paul says, for me to die is Christ. to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You know, what do I do? How do I do this? Well, you see, in spite of what happens, whether I die or whether whether I stay here and continue, number three in the back of your outlines, because God's kingdom will persist. See, I can't lose my joy. I will not lose my joy because in spite of what happens to me or doesn't happen to me, whether I continue or don't, the kingdom of God is going to keep going. It's not dependent on me. Paul says in verses 22 and 24, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, How many of you can just think about just being in the presence of Jesus Christ? You know, no more pain. It's the place of no more, as I said last week. No more. No more pain. No more worry. No more crying. No more tax collectors. No more bills. (laughs) No more. It's, It's no more. It's the place of no more. I mean, can you think about a better place? You know, and the problem is, I think, for a lot of people, and this is for believers as well, as The world has a strong hold on us. And there's this desire to want to hold on to the things of this world, which really aren't doing us any good. Because when we leave this place, none of it goes with us. The only thing that we take with us is what we have done for Jesus Christ. The fruitful labor. The fruitful labor of what it is that we do. The spiritual labor that we do by serving Christ. The spiritual uh, activity. And Paul... You know, we, we see that he didn't escape his problem. He, he didn't escape what he was going through. He longed to be with the Lord. But if it was God's will for him to live in the flesh, he says, I'm going to rejoice either which way. I'll be happy in the flesh. <laughs> I want to be with Jesus. You know, pick the two. And he knew that it would mean fruitful labor for him. And fruitful labor basically is it's fruit. Fruit that is being given or is being produced because of the person that is partaking of it. It's spiritual fruit. It includes attitudinal fruit. In other words, like I said, the fruit of the Spirit, it's your attitude, who you are. It's action fruit, consistent of righteous deeds. And it's also additional fruit, new converts. It's what you do, action fruit. It's people that you reach, uh, additional fruit. Or it's an attitude of fruit, how your spirit grows and how the, the, the spiritual fruit in your life grows love, joy, peace, patience. That seems to grow. And Paul says, I want to see that happen in your life. And, and, and I just can't wait. To see it happen in your life and this is why I think I need to stay I need to stay to help you to grow in that area see for a lot of us we want to stay to continue on in our life to get richer get more famous or get more stuff is why a lot of people want to stay in this world they hold on to everything that they have to be able to to make a mark for myself Paul says no I want to help you Paul says, I want to help you grow. I want to see that fruit just develop and and be so mature that nothing seems to harm you, that nothing can steal your joy. Paul says, "I I want to see you reach other people. I want to see that fruit. I want to see you be blessed in such a way that you would never imagine, that these things of the world cannot give you that peace. This is what Paul was talking about. It's the fruit that he was working with and the fruit that that the Holy Spirit was working through him. And he says, I I don't know which one to choose. It's not that he was, you know, kind of going crazy, bipolar. It kind of sounds like we had to do this. No, he wasn't actually being that way. He was thinking this through, you know, properly. He says, you know, I do have this tension. He says, I have this tension. I want to be with the Lord. But you are my first priority on this planet. You are my first priority on this planet. I want to see you grow, you know, and I, I want to see that happen in your life. And Paul points, uh, he seems to say, you know, I don't know which one to choose, but but you know what? It's, it's probably because God didn't reveal it to him as of yet. says, so God probably didn't say, okay, here's what's going to happen to you. And so he's thinking, okay, if the Lord says that this is going to happen, then great. And this is a good example for us. Because we think that if I pray it hard enough, or I pray it long enough, or I pray it loud enough, then it would happen. I can force God the creator of this universe, the sustainer of all things, that I can force God to do what I want him to do. You see, we have this pea brain, this little mind thinking that we can tell God how to do his job. God, you promised. You said. And we say words like that. And we name it and we claim it and we are trying to get this agenda, my agenda, done. I'm trying to move it forward. So that I can be more prosperous and more, uh, well, healthier, whatever the case may be. Beloved, none of us make it out of your life. And only what you do for God is what's going to last. And Paul isn't praying in that manner. He says, you know, I want to pray and I want you to pray for me. He says that every time I speak, the word of God is spoken boldly. That's the whole purpose of being a Christian. Not to get everything, but to give Everything. On the one hand, Paul desires to depart and be with Christ. And on the other hand, he desires to be here. And he says, you know, you know what do I do? In Second Corinthians 5.1, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We know that when we die, God's already got a place for us in heaven. He's already prepared for us. And for Christians, death is simply breaking their temporary camp. It's like going from one camp to the next. As a matter of fact, the word uh, cemetery, we get from the word crematorion. Crematorion is the Greek word that means a resting place, a hotel in a sense, an inn that they were looking for, like Joseph and Mary that were looking for, an inn, a crematorion. And for, for death, for the cemetery, that's what it was called. It's called a crematorion, a resting place, because they knew that that wasn't your final place. That you were laid to rest there and you woke up with the Lord the very next day. They knew that. They knew that that's how it all worked out. And, you know, this is to depart and to be with Christ. You see, Paul's idea was, the moment I die, I'm going to be with Christ. There's this idea of this soul sleep in people's lives. They think that, you know, when you die, you go into the grave and you stay there until Jesus Christ returns. Then he raises you up and then you're able to do whatever. When he, when he resurrects you, that's when you wake up. He resurrects your body, but your spirit. He says, I, I want to be with Christ. I want to depart and be with Christ. As, as he told the thief on the cross, truly, truly, I say to you that today you will be with me in paradise. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, it says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The moment I'm away from my body, I'm at home with the Lord. And if you remember the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, they appeared with Jesus Christ, and they were they were alive. As a matter of fact, Jesus is I'm not a God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And and also it, it helps us to see that the moment we leave here, we cross over to be with Christ. Paul says, I'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, as he said in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 8. Job even said the same thing, and, and I read this earlier, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet In my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart fates within. Number four, the last thing I want to share with you. You see, I can't give up. The joy cannot be robbed from my life, from my heart, because of your progress. Because of your progress. Paul says to the Philippians in verses 25 and 26, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. He was already convinced. He says, you know, I know I'm going to be here. At least, at least for now, I'm here. And while I'm here, I'm going to write these letters. I'm going to encourage you guys. I'm going to ask you to come visit me. I'm going to encourage you there. I'm going to share the gospel with as many people, with this whole empire. Of, of legion of soldiers and all these men are going to hear the gospel whether they receive it or not it's up to them but I'm here to proclaim the gospel and he says convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again Paul wanted to see them Paul wanted to come out and, and look at them he says I'm going to come to you And I'm going to come to you, and I want to see you grow. I want to see the progress in your life. And I want to see just just everything that you've been able to do. That is every pastor's dream, to see the congregation grow, not numerically, but spiritually. I'm often asked, don't you get discouraged because a lot of people don't come? You know, and as I said earlier to Jan, or actually Jan reminded me, (laughs) I used to say no. No. Uh, because I'm not focused on those that aren't here. I'm focused on you. I'm focused on those you that are here and the progress that you are making. I am focused on just the, the, the attendance and the, the readiness and the willingness to listen, take notes down, discuss the items afterward and, and things and things that we talk about. I'm more concerned about your spiritual growth than I am the numerical growth. You see, if you're faithful with a little, God will bless you with a lot. And we are just trying to be as faithful as we can with the little that we have because this is what the Lord has given us. And to, to say that I get discouraged because there's, there's, we don't have thousands and thousands of people like some big churches do, I, I don't. I don't because God, I know that God's given me a responsibility to minister and to teach and to lead this congregation. Paul says, convinced of this, he says, I I need to finish my work. I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. Paul's whole purpose was he wants you to glory in Christ. You see, I I, I can't stop. I won't quit. I'm not going anywhere because I know that prayers are being lifted up. I know that Jesus Christ promised that his work is going to work out together for good. I know that in spite of me, God's kingdom is going to keep going. And I know because of your progress, Jesus Christ will be glorified. And he will be glorified in your life. And you will learn how to glorify him. You will you'll learn how to glorify him in these trials and these turbulent times that we have. You're not going to fold. You're not going to fall to the wayside. You're going to stand firm. You're going to see other Christians and believers and, and, and see them all kind of trembling and falling. They're going to ask, well, how come you're not worried? Because I have a great God. And I believe that whether in life or in death, I'm going I'm to gain. It's good for me to be here to show you, but it's better for me to be in heaven. Paul is saying, this is my purpose here in life, to show you, to help you, to help you to grow. Paul was a great example. Paul is our example. He knew that the Philippians still needed him. And it was not that he considered himself indispensable. He didn't think that, oh, well, there's nobody else going to be. In other words, I mean, if you know, once Paul died, I mean, people, the place started to grow. People started going in different directions. This is how we have come to know Jesus Christ. Because of the work of the apostles, Jesus Christ, the 12, Paul, the churches, and all around the world. Because they were convinced that the ministry was going to continue to go. That the kingdom was going to persist because of the progress of every believer. And that is my conviction. I genuinely believe. I've had people tell me all the time, says, you know, Pastor, I've learned more here than I have anywhere else. And that's not my goal. It's not just to help you to learn stuff. It's not my goal, just to give you information. I'd like for you to take that information and let it transform and cause a transformation in your life. To be able to glory in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am convinced. I am convinced. I am convinced. I know that God is going to finish this work in me. and Paul, Paul was convinced that the church still needed him. He was convinced that there was still some instruction and some leadership that he needed to do. Despite of their maturity, their love, and their gentle spirit, they needed somebody to lead them in that direction. We're going to read later in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. And there was no like-mindedness in the Philippians uh, to the Philippians. There was they, they didn't have the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written this. But he's telling them you, you need to be like-minded, focused on Jesus Christ. They needed to be on guard of false teachers because there were a lot of false teachers at that time. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter three, verse two, he says, "Look out for the dogs! Look out for the evil doers! Look out for those who mutilate the flesh." This is referring back to Galatians. In Galatians, there were people that says you cannot be Christians unless you follow the Torah and follow the commandments of Moses. And you got to be circumcised. And Paul says, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the laws because you're Gentiles. You're not Jewish. And there are people that give you, or believers, put more on you. you. While you have to do this, you have to wear a suit, you have to put your hair in a certain way. There's certain things you can't wear, certain things you can't do. And they put all these restrictions on you. And they say that, you know, either you do, the, you do it this way, or you're not doing it right. And Paul called them dogs. He called, and Paul was convinced, he says, that he needed to be there to help you to be on your guard against the false teachers. And he says, you know, he wanted to oppose those that were the enemies of the cross. Look at verse uh, chapter 3, 17 and 18. Brothers. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. There's so much emphasis. There was this Gnostic, Gnostic teaching, this this. Cerebral type of religion where the more that you knew and the more the closer you got to God and, and all this feeling and this hysteria and, and all this pagan religion that was infiltrating the church and in, in, to, to them it was this Gnosticism, this, this, the, the body didn't matter. The body was, you know, it was evil. So whatever you did to your body, all that, would, that really mattered was your spirit. As long as your spirit was being filled, you got this new revelation, you got this new idea, this new connection with God or with this spirit that you were supposedly worshiping, it didn't matter what happened to your body. They would fall, they would cut themselves, they would scream, they would yell, they would get intoxicated because the body was evil anyways. And Gnosticism had been this religion for a very long time and it infiltrated the church. And Paul says, you know, these, these are the evildoers, these are the ones that are, are just walking as enemies of the cross. And they say that the only way to God, the only way through Jesus Christ, is if you have this type of knowledge and this type of reaction. And, and what that does is when you are looking for this feeling, when you're looking for what it can give you, you take the emphasis off the cross. You know, so many places, they just want, they just want the blessing. They want the, everything that's falling down upon them. And the cross of Jesus Christ is not even mentioned anymore. And when, cross, when the cross is not mentioned, when the crucifix of Jesus Christ is not mentioned, when what Jesus Christ did on the cross is not mentioned, it's not leading you to Christ. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit himself said, this is, Jesus, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he says, this is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it's going to convict the world of sin. But you know what else it's going to do? It's not going to bring glory to himself. He's going to bring glory to me, what Jesus Christ said. The glory, of the, the glory of Jesus Christ needs to be put out front, lifted up high. The Holy Spirit points to the cross every single time. Anytime that the Holy Spirit is pointing to himself, you can know that it is not of God. Because that's not what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is. Jesus will tell you in John chapter 16, He says, you know, there's got to be this unity between the two of you guys. There were at least two members in the congregation that were living in unity. He says, I plead with Yoida and with Syntyche to agree with each other. And so there was this disunity. Paul says, you know, I got to still be there to help you guys get together on this stuff. Philippians 4, 6, and I think this is probably one of the biggest points that we can point to today. Paul says, you know what, I don't want you to be anxious about anything. Paul felt this deep desire to share with his congregation. You, you, don't be anxious. Don't worry. But I'm a born worrier. No, you're not. Worry is a learned behavior. You weren't born to worry. Ask my grandson. Where's he at? Fell asleep? Oh, he's, not he's not worried about anything, is he? Oh, okay. <laughs> he doesn't worry about anything. He's only six months old. You know what? But if he is taught how to worry, guess what? He will be a worrier. Not a warrior, but a worrier. You are not a born warrior. You're not. You learned it somewhere. And the good thing is, because you learned it, it can't be unlearned. Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything. Worry is one of the biggest sins that we have. Because Jesus said, the pagans worry. And if you worry, you're a pagan. In other words, you're not saved. You don't believe God is going to take care of you. And when when God says, don't worry, that is the one thing he says, do not worry. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Yet that's one of our biggest fears. And Paul says, I need to be there to help you guys to not be anxious about anything, especially in the condition that you live in now. The government, all these things, the religious leaders that are around you, everything that seems to be coming up against you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. I, I believe that Paul really just had this one thing. This is at the end of the chapter 4, uh, the end of the book in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, you know, I, I just want you to think about these things. Whatever is true, I, I want you to think about that. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about These things. Paul says, I I want to remain and continue with you to help you to focus on worship. You know, when you focus on what is true, not true to the world, because the world will tell you a whole different truth, but what's true in the Word. Whenever you focus on whatever is honorable, not what's honorable around the country. Because like I said earlier, first there is acceptance. You got to accept Mike my sin, and then you got to, first you got to tolerate it, then you got to accept it, now you got to participate in it, and it continues to grow, and it's not this honorable thing that people think, you know, that's a very honorable, that person came out, and he says, you know, he's really not a man, he's a girl, and, and so all this stuff that people are thinking is honorable, that's a hero, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Paul says, you know, when you focus on those things, when you think about these things, when you Look at those things. Guess what happens? You're in a mind of worship. You see, when your mind is full of these things, you worship. But when your mind is full of negative things, you worry. You see, worry and worship cannot live together. It's either you're going to worship or you're going to worry. You can't worship and worry at the same time. You can't worry about worshiping. and You can't worship your worry. It's 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 incongruent. Either you're going to worry, like the world does, or you're going to worship. You're either going to be anxious about everything, or you're going to be anxious about nothing. And Paul's desire was to see his church not to be anxious about anything. He says, I don't want you know, brothers. Finally, whatever is true, and when we get there, we're going to discuss this a little bit more. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, he says, I want you to think on these things. I want you to think on everything that I just mentioned to you because this is what I believe God has sent me here to do. The last verse that I want to share with you is in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It is amazing to see so-called believers actually worry and struggle and stress and wonder what's going to happen next. It is amazing for people that call themselves people of the cross to, to really just get so stressed. And I'm not saying you shouldn't worry. There are certain things that you need to worry about. You know, I'm worried about gas prices. I don't know if I should be driving that many miles anymore. You know, I'm worried about, you know, food costs. I'm worried about, you know, maybe I should save a little bit of food. You know, there's things that you need to prepare for. But the stress and the anxiety that that comes with that—that that actual worry—is what the Bible is talking about. When you just do not prepare, or, or you do prepare, and and it just seems that everything falls upon you, and you wonder what's going to happen about tomorrow, and you're worried about tomorrow, and you're concerned about tomorrow, and tomorrow is just and you're so, and then yesterday you're you're you're, you're scared about yesterday, and you man, I really wish I could have done this, should have, would have, could have. You, you're you, you can't you can't change the past. And you're concerned about the things that you should have done, you could have done, you would have done, ah, you know. And then you're worried about, well, what am I going to do tomorrow? What can I do tomorrow? What should I do tomorrow? And all you do about that is, is when, you, when you can't change the past and you can't change the future and you can't control the future, all you do is you mess up your today. And then tomorrow, you start, and I shouldn't have worried so much about today. And then now you're worried about tomorrow. And it's a cycle that many people have gotten themselves caught up in. Paul says, I want you to think about these things. And, and you know what? Yeah, I'm going to die. None of us makes it out of here alive. And, and I hope it's not too soon. You know, there's still a lot of work that I believe the Lord has in my life and my family. And, and And those things are going to happen. But until then, we're all going to continue to move together. Amen? Let me ask you to stand. Next week... I pray that you're with us. We're going to have uh, tri-tip sandwiches. That's what I heard. Oh, that's supposed to be a surprise. Uh, but uh, anyways, be here with us and uh, bring somebody if you'd like. We'd like to just be able to spend this time together with, uh, with all our family. Father in heaven, thank you again for giving us this opportunity to come before you, to worship you and to love you and, and to see the heart of Paul. And how it was that he, was, he would just adamantly state, nothing's going to rob my joy. Lord, help us to be like Paul. Help us to know that there's prayers that are being lifted up all around us. That as we ask for prayer, we ask with a genuine heart that you give us the persistence and the ability to stand firm. We know, God, that you've promised that in spite of what may happen, whether we're cast into the furnace or not, it's all going to work out together for good. Father, we know that in spite of what may happen to us or may not, your kingdom's going to keep going. And it's not up to me, it's up to you. But I know, Lord, that because of the progress of your people, that you will continue to encourage us. And because the progress that you promised in my life, I know that I won't lose my joy. Because I know that the fruit of the Spirit that you have given me is first and foremost love. You've taught me how to love you and how to love others. And because of that love that you've given us, that unconditional love, You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. And though I was a sinner, and though I was far from you, your enemy, I was an object of your wrath, you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. And because of that, I can have joy. So help us, Lord, to have joy in our life, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Stick around if you can. We do have another engagement here in just a bit, so we will be taking off here in in a moment.